Hello and welcome to episode 216 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox in Los Angeles. How's it going, Nathan? Oh, beautiful. How's life with you? It's good, man. Um, I did wake up with a slight headache today, which has not totally gone away, but since it's so slight, yeah, it is what it is. And I'm just a little surprised though, because when I wake up with a headache, I usually sleep to like get rid of a headache, right? Uh-huh. I don't know. Maybe I'm sick. Uh oh. Well, take care of yourself, man. We got work I to will. do. Vitamin C. Um, today on the show, we have a demon review, apparently. Cool. Um, oh, yes. You worked for Kaplan? This is hilarious. I, yeah. Um, Kaplan is posting pictures of me across the country on Yelp. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it. It's okay. It's, it's amusing. <laughs> yeah. So then we have something in the, in the defense of the GRE. Okay. We have law school alternatives for liberal arts majors. We have an addendum for a six point drop. Hmm. Interesting. We have a personal statement from an NYC class attendee, a New York city class attendee. That was so fun by the way. Yeah. And then if we have time, we'll try to hit a logical reasoning question from test 71. Um, if you, Oh, wow. This is coming out on Monday, October 28th, which is also the day of the October LSAT. If you just sat for that test, congratulations. You successfully sat for it. (laughs) I hope it went well. Um, and the November LSAT is just around the corner on November 25th, so in a month. It's past the November LSAT registration deadline, by the way. So if you have not registered for that, your next option is January. Um, you can always email the show at help at thinkinglsat.com. We love getting your questions. Please send in your selfies and leave us a review on iTunes if you're so inclined, positive or negative. It's good to hear from everybody. Let us know how it went at the test. If you uh, sat for the official test, we love getting test day stories. So help at thinkinglsat.com. Uh, yeah. Help us yeah. keep an eye on uh, LSAC <laughs> and their rollout of the digital LSAT and all their Proctor stuff that they've for been sure. having problems with. <laughs> help at thinkinglsat.com. It's good to shed some light on that stuff. Yeah, it seems like they've had challenges uh, with all of their digital test so far, but I'm assuming it's getting better. So let's hear if it has gotten better and where they're at. Also, we know that some people are taking paper tests, which is interesting. So let us know about that as well. Um, cool. You want to tackle this first one? Sure. Says, hello, Ben and Nathan. Greetings from Canada, eh? I want to thank you both for all of the amazing work that you do. I have personally benefited a measurable amount from the podcast and the demon. That's right. A measurable amount. Uh, good. (laughs) (laughs) This Canadian knew that I was going to jump all over them for saying a measurable amount. So they, they doubled down on it and just went right back with it again. Yeah, that's right. A measurable amount. Okay. Um, I scored 158 on the September 2018 LSAT. Soon after I incorporated the demon into my studying after just two months with the LSAT demon, I decided to ditch everything else and study solely with the demon and listen to the podcast. I just received my 168 today on the September 2019 LSAT, a 10 point score improvement and a 22 percentile improvement. It's too bad I won't be getting my almost 300 uh, Canadian dollars back from LSAC 
for the October test I withdrew from. I currently lead the pre-law society at my university. I immediately direct anyone studying for the LSAT away from commercial study books and toward you guys. Your approach to the LSAT makes studying fun and diminishes the discouraging nature of the test. I hope y'all explode onto the scene and trash those commercial prep courses. <laughs> wow. Thanks. Yeah. It's like an action movie. With yeah. hope, you will hear from me again soon. As I finish my personal statements, I expect to send one in for shredding on the podcast. I will try my best to give you both a challenge. P.S. Shout out to all the people working behind the scenes for you guys. Best, a sorry Canadian. <laughs> Wait, what? I don't get the, the sign off. A sorry Canadian? Sorry Canadian. Canadian. I, I think because Canadians are always saying they're sorry for stuff. They're just always, they're just, Canadians are so nice. So they're always oh. apologize. They're just always, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, 10 point improvement. That's pretty great. That is great. That is a game changer, especially from 158 to 168. That's a, yeah. that's exactly where you, you want to be making that 10 point improvement. 158, you can squeak into some schools, but 168, you're going to be going for free and you're going to be knocking on the door of some of the best schools in the world. So that's terrific. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Thanks for all the referrals. Uh, thanks for the nice comments about the show. Uh, definitely shout out to all the people working behind the scenes for us. Um, they just kill it. All of them. They do. I agree. They make it happen. Yeah. Um, Nathan works for Kaplan. Yeah. Can you describe the picture here and what's going on? This is a picture on Yelp. Right. So this, I got an email from my buddy Yuri. I, I don't know. Buddy might be too strong. He's a, um, he does like GMAT prep in, uh, in San Francisco Bay area. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he does GRE and GMAT. Uh, it's testcrackers.org, by the way, I might as well give Yuri a shout out since he, uh, <laughs> is looking out for me here. Okay. But he sent an email saying photo of you working for Kaplan question mark. And he sent a link to the Kaplan Yelp page in New York, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And it's me. Oh, it's hundred percent you. I it see says, it right now. It says photo of Kaplan test prep, Brooklyn, New York, United States. And that is me in my classroom in San Francisco. That's the, that's the crazy mural in the clipper ship room in in the, in the conference room at the chancellor hotel in San Francisco in union square. That's what I wanted to know. I was like, I feel like I've seen that picture before. Yeah. Well, because I had, you know, a photographer come to class like five, six, seven years ago, whatever, and take nice pictures that I could use for my website and stuff. So I've like had this picture up on, on my site or I don't know if on Yelp or whatever, but Yuri starts browsing around the Kaplan Yelp pages across the country and that same photo is apparently on their Berkeley and Chicago and, <laughs> oh, and LA. So some social media person for, for Kaplan stole my photograph and posted it all over Yelp pages across the country. I don't understand. Like, did they have any clue what they were doing they literally googled like lsat class your image popped up and they took it thinking that was 
not going to be obviously discovered? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's it's a nice picture. It's uh it's me standing in front of the room. The, who are you stu- talking to? That's a student of mine, Peter. Um, who he uh, he took my class four or five years ago now. Yeah, and uh, it's like we're having a, a nice little conversation. It's a, an engaged teacher and student, and maybe Kaplan didn't have any any photos of that. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't find a, a picture of a good teacher and a happy student, so they just decided to steal my photograph and post it. It's so distasteful on all of their Yelp pages, like all across the country. Yeah. I don't know. You know, whatever. Give them some credit. They have some social media schmo who's doing this for them. And that person somehow got this photo, thought it was, maybe they thought it was an actual Kaplan photo. Uh, Who knows? Now, wait, when you first started teaching the LSA, you were teaching at PowerScore, right? You never touched, like, stepped foot in a Kaplan. No? Right. Yeah. No, I, 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 when I was, I was a GMAT teacher for PowerScore and then they paid me to become an LSAT teacher. Got it. But yeah, I, for some reason I got that story mixed up and I thought, oh, well maybe he worked at Kaplan. No. I thought like, uh, they had a picture and I was like, but that seems like his class. So yeah, this is completely out of left field. There's yeah, no connection. That's my class, my student. I don't know what to do about it. I mean, I suppose I could flag go around flagging this photo on Yelp or call Yelp and say this happened. I don't know. I don't, I don't really like talking to Yelp. No. Cause all they're going to do is try to sell me shit, which I don't want or need, but <laughs> I don't know. Just thought it was amusing. That is amusing. Yeah. Thanks again, Yuri for, um, posting, uh, for, for sending that to my attention. I, I really don't know what to do about it. If any listeners, um, want to help out with this, uh, vile appropriation of my intellectual property you can email the show help it thinking actually i think instead of instead of having them take it down i think anyone who knows that can you write comments on pictures in yelp oh that's a good one yeah just be like oh if you'd like to take this class go to (laughs) foxelsat.com or (laughs) elsatdemon.com yeah yeah it's just bizarre uh, mm. Fake news. I don't know. Fake news. There we go. Yeah. All right. So the next one is in defense of the GRE. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll read this. Hello. Yep. Here's my situation. I think that as more schools accept GRE scores, this will become increasingly common. So I'm sure that listeners would appreciate hearing your reply. Well, hold up. I just want to stop right there. Are more schools accepting the GRE? Like I thought they was going in the opposite direction actually at this point. Oh, I thought I heard 40 schools or something like that. Oh, are now accepting it? Because I knew that GW did, and then they they changed their minds and stopped accepting it. So I took that one data point as like, oh, reversal of fortune here for the GRE. But yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm seeing. How do you, where do you find the stats for this? I don't know. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> Google is so weird. You know the featured snippets thing at the top when you when you Google something and then it just gives you the snippet, like it gives mm, you the information yeah, yeah, yeah. right at the top yeah, yeah. of the results. Like it's the authority or something. Yeah. yeah, but like this is from the Princeton Review. The, yeah. The, the, the thing that came up first is from Princeton Review and from May of 2019. It's like that's not 
we want more up to date information than that. Yeah. Don't we? Um, oh, you said GW was, and now they're not anymore. Yeah. At least yeah. cause they're in the snippet. GW is one of the schools in the snippet. Oh, okay. Thanks. Thanks Google. Thank you. Yeah. That was the same problem we had with the, uh, salary starting salary is one sixty for attorneys. Oh yeah. Cause the snippet. Yep. That's what the snippet says. Although it's wrong. Anyways, this listener continues. It's from anonymous, by the way, I'm an older 34 years old applicant living in a part in a part of the country that doesn't provide easy access to LSAT testing locations. Okay. My GPA was 3.96 at a top 25 and my GRE combined score is a 332, which translates to a 173 according to else uh, according to ETS. Oh, they have a conversion tool. Okay. They're probably just looking at percentiles, I guess. Mm-hmm. C- Currently, every LSAT testing location within eight hours of me is totally booked in November. Eight hours. Wow, that sucks. I have a full-time job and a family, and the test is the week of the Thanksgiving holiday, so if I want to take the LSAT, I will need to wait until January. Hmm? Wait, it's before Thanksgiving. Yeah, and that's one of those um, too many excuses. Yeah. It was like, which one is it? Is it that... Is it that it's they're too far away or is it that they're booked or is it that you have a full-time job or is it your family or is it the (laughs) Thanksgiving holiday? Yeah. Anyway. Okay. I think if you decided you wanted to make this happen, you could make it happen. I'm not saying that it would be easy. It definitely would not be easy. It would be very difficult, but it would be doable. Yeah. It's just that if you want to go to law school this cycle, you know, you, and if, and if you didn't have your ducks in a row to have the LSAT done with before the November test, then you're going to have to just make that sacrifice if you're serious about law school. Yeah. I mean, that, it's not, I'm not saying it's like, it's obviously it's a shitty system. Like the LSAC, it's very yeah. difficult in a lot yeah. of cases, you know, like I'm not, I'm not saying it's not taxing. What I'm saying is it's just one of, one of many hoops that you're going to have to jump through if this is really the right path for you. Yes. In other words, LSAC is definitely in the wrong here, right? For not choosing to use Sullivan testing centers. But (laughs) that doesn't like let you off the hook. Ultimately, what you decide to do is going to affect you the most. Anyways, um, so do you think that it's better to apply in November with a GRE score or apply in February with an equivalent LSAT? Well, assuming you get it. And is it possible to apply with a GRE score now and then submit an LSAT in late January, early February if I haven't been accepted? Thank you. Okay, we let's get a little bit more context here. She said, so, um, or Anonymous writes, since submitting my question, I have signed up for the November LSAT. Thanks to episode 214, I learned that the registration deadline was imminent and I decided to sign up for the LSAT in Lake Boisier. Bossier, Louisiana, about eight hours drive from my home. Okay, great. Hey, that's awesome. I'm glad that you decided to do that. That's great. Three days after completing my cold diagnostic exam, I completed another practice exam and received a 166. This seemed like sufficient evidence that I can study for five weeks and earn a score in my goal range, approximately 172 to 174. Thank you. Um, Yeah, it didn't seem like outlandish uh cold diagnostic of 166 is damn good yeah um well i'm glad you decided to sign up for november i'm glad that you're studying and putting in the effort um i guess that kind of makes these other questions moot 
yeah. I mean, the thing with the GRE is that unless you know for sure that you're only going to law schools that accept the GRE, then the GRE just doesn't work at other schools. You're going to be foreclosing a whole bunch of options for yourself Yeah. by not taking the LSAT. So... I, you know, I think schools also might justifiably think that you're not really serious about law school specifically if you don't take the LSAT. Yeah, and you wouldn't want to write an addendum explaining your reasons for not taking it. They're just going to fall flat. It's like, uh, if you can't pull it together, then... <laughs> yeah, but if you have like a 99th percentile GRE score and you're only applying to you know Harvard and Harvard accepts the GRE then I don't know. I suppose you could just, it's just like submit that because it's clear that you have a kick-ass GRE score and they accept the GRE and why not? Why not? But but then again, like, are you not applying really? If you're going to only apply to Harvard law school, I don't know. That doesn't seem, doesn't seem very serious. Like I, it, are you or are you not serious about law school? Because if you are, then I don't know. Right now, it seems like you probably need to take the LSAT. I wonder if there's some inherent bias against a GRE score, even for schools that accept it. Like, I'm biased toward it. I Like, when someone does awesome on GRE, my initial reaction is like, great, I think you're likely to do well in the LSAT, and I've said so on this show before. But I'm also, like, thinking to myself, there are different skills being tested. Can you really hack it when it comes to logical reasoning or the games, things that aren't directly tested on the GRE. Yeah. I, I, at the, at the top, top level, 99th percentile GRE, then I'm like, yeah, okay. I mean, I think I'm pretty sure you could get it done on the LSAT. The skills are complementary. It's like, there's a huge reading comprehension component of all of these tests. And if you're a good enough reader to knock it out of the park on the GRE, then I, I do think you probably can do it on the LSAT as well. I agree. I, I think that you're very likely to. I'm just <laughs> For that matter, that they could just use the SAT. If someone... <laughs> at, at, at that point, though, it's like, okay, why not just do it? Just go take it like, and show us that you can hack it. As opposed to like, oh, you took some LSATs and didn't do well on them. So you decided not to take it and use your GRE, which you happen to be better at or more comfortable with because it's more math based or whatever. I do think the reading comp is easier on the GRE. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's like lawyers like to jump through hoops. That's kind of like what lawyers are made to do. But then now Mm -hmm. you're, you're going to not jump through the, not jump through the LSAT hoop. I just, it, it it looks, I don't know. I, 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 we're, Purely speculating, of course, which we like to do. But I can certainly imagine if I, if I saw an applicant with just a GRE score, no LSAT score, I would just be wondering, you know, just kind of wondering why, I suppose. Yeah. All right. Uh, to answer this one question, is it possible to apply with a GRE score now and then submit an LSAT in late January, early February if I haven't been accepted? Yes, you certainly can. And if you've already applied that later score that comes in may take you off some wait lists. For yeah. Sure. It's also possible that they might just deny you though. Right. Mm-hmm. With, Certainly. with the application that they have on hand. And so if you've already been denied, then you'd have to be going through their appeals process or whatever. Um, but yeah, if, if, if they haven't given you a decision yet, or if they've put you on a wait list, then you can always submit additional stuff. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Next one. Yeah. 
<clears throat> this one says law school alternatives for liberal arts majors. Hey, Ben and Nathan, you guys always tell people not to go to law school. What would you suggest people do instead? Where should we start our searches for alternative careers? For context, I have a pretty useless degree. I recently graduated with an English BA from an okay school. I received Latinate honors and found my degree interesting, but I want to make the right decision about my future. You guys made me second guess my decision to go to law school. Thank you, Maddie. P.S. and no, I don't want to be an English teacher. English major jokes. LOL. Well, so would you say it would be good to talk about your that one video where you have the three circles? Yeah, sure. My philosophy of life that I shamelessly stole from the internet. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty, <laughs> I think, a pretty common overlay. Yeah. It's not easy for everyone to get into the center of those three circles, but yeah. it's good yeah, thought it's, experiment. It's, three, mm-hmm. it's a Venn diagram with uh, three circles that overlap in the middle. There's one spot where all three, te- all three circles touch, and uh, it's things you're good at, things you love, and things you can get paid for. And, um, I, through trial and error, just randomly found myself in the sweet spot, you know, right in the middle. And I think you would agree, Ben, that you kind of got there the same way, just on, on accident. Yeah. By yeah. Yeah. Trying other stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I went and got myself three graduate degrees, none of which I, I don't think I use anything from Ben. You got, you got yourself a JD. I had a Mm -hmm. bunch of shitty jobs I hated, quit or got laid off, you know, just wasn't successful in a million different things. But then I found myself just kind of, I just gravitated toward it. I don't know. It wasn't planning. It was absolutely the opposite of planning. It was, I happened to have been good at the GMAT, which, you know, led me to business school, which I didn't like, I really, I mean, I don't do any of the things I learned in business school. (laughs) <laughs> marketing plan, finance plan, all that shit. <laughs> I don't do any of those things. Um, anyway, I started moonlighting as a GMAT teacher and, and just like discovered that I loved it. I was just trying to pick up some yeah. extra cash. I never saw myself as a teacher. I got, I never would have wanted to be a teacher. I was like a super, yeah. super shy public speaker. Don't want to be in front of an audience. I hate mm-hmm. that. Or I thought I hated it. Turns out yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, anyway, my GMAT employer wanted a LSAT teacher and asked me if I could prep for and start teaching the LSAT. And I didn't even know what the LSAT was. And turns out I love that even more. I loved, I loved classroom teaching, but I, I turned out I like the LSAT more than I like the GMAT. And then it just kind of took off because I'm good at it and I love it. And it's a thing that you can get paid for. And so I'm always talking to young people like that's ultimately that's what we're looking for. And I think the way you have to get there is thinking about things that you're good at and that you love, Um, especially just things you love, because you can figure out how to get paid. If, If you're good at something and you love it, you can figure out how to get paid for it. And And if you love something that you can get paid for, there's, there's ways to get good at stuff. You know, you can study or whatever for some people like going to law school so that you can get whatever certificate, you know, whatever 
certifications you need, education you need in order to become a lawyer. If it's the right thing for you, you know, if you love it, the way yeah. you would know that is by working in a law firm or talking to lots and lots and lots of lawyers. Yeah. But if you don't love it, it's just, I don't think that's a thing that you can really learn. Right. So good at, and can get paid for. Like, I think I probably, I, I would be, if I, if I loved it, I would be a great lawyer, but I don't love it and I'm never going to love it. And I'm not like, <laughs> if I were to try to stick with that and force myself to like it, I think it would have been just a miserable disaster. Yeah. So there are, there are fields. And for many people, I think law is a field where you could be pretty good at it. You definitely can get paid for it if you end up with a successful legal career, but you better love it because it's just super, super intense. Yeah. Well, I think what people are doing is they're focusing on the paid part of the circle. Yeah. Right. And they're saying, that's well, what your folks do. And that's and what laws. career counselors do. You know, they're, they're looking for you to make a sensible decision. And it seems like law is a sensible career. It's a safe decision in the sense that, oh, you can go get a job and then you get a paycheck and that's how life works. But you're going to be spending more time, more of your waking hours at your job than anything else. So you better hope that you like it on some level. You better love that shit. I mean, you better in order to in order to deal with I mean, the combination of tedium long hours, high stress, emotionally taxing. It can be really, really difficult, especially if you're one of these lawyers who's going to like go help people. You're going to be helping mm-hmm. people who like really desperately need help. And the system is just totally set up against, and you're going to be like yeah. under resourced while you're trying to help these people. And it can just be like really, really sad and dramatic and hard for people. So, Mm-hmm. It's yeah. I mean, your folks might be telling you that this is a safe career, but it's uh, the it's. I don't. I look at it as a very risky career because of the time and money involved to get into it. You're talking about three or four years of your life, and you know, potentially a couple hundred thousand dollars for essentially a piece of paper that certifies you to you know, practice law in your state or certifies you to sit for the exam to try to practice law in your state, (laughs) which you may or may not pass. Yeah. And then all that just to get into what, you know, is a largely zero sum, high stress, uh, high drama, but at the same time, tedious. (laughs) It can be boring and high stress at the same time. Yeah. You know, and so man, my advice is for Maddie is basically anything else. Like what are you good at and what do you love? Yeah. I would add that when I talk to people these days and I dig into whatever they do or they've been doing, what astounds me is the number of the billions, really. I I think billions is a safe number here. The billions of niches or that people can get into. You're like, wow, there's a market for cleaning medical equipment that can't be cleaned with liquid. And Fujifilm is (laughs) 
in that market. I was just talking to someone this weekend who like does this and I'm like, how in the world did you get into that <laughs> space? You know? And so there's just so many things that people need done and they're willing to pay for someone else to do it. And so you just have to get out there. I had a job once. I just remembered this. I was in college and, uh, people would die and the newspaper, if their, if their errors were not obvious, but they had assets, the newspaper would <sighs> publish a notice, a public notice that, you know, they had assets and they were trying to find their errors. And my job was to go through genealogical records and find errors, reach out to them. And then we would make a deal with them that we would get some of their inheritance. <sighs> wow. <laughs> and, but we would connect them to this right. unknown person who had died. Right. It was like, it was a weird job. I was there for two weeks and I was like, okay, yeah. I'm done with this. <laughs> sound, sounds pretty but miserable. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I even started that job, but sometimes you just have to go out there and do stuff and then be like, okay, I like this. I hate this and learn and see all the random things that people are, or needs that people are trying to fill. Yeah. I would really encourage people to just experiment and not get stuck, not get trapped in anything. I mean, I thought I wanted to be in college. I was like into finance stuff, money stuff. Mm. So I started working at a brokerage firm and like an, I was an intern at a brokerage firm and it seemed like work I could do. And so when I graduated from college, I went straight mm -hmm. into that job as a stockbroker. And it turned out I was miserable. Like I, I quit within a year. I had nightmares about that job for like 10 years after that. I would literally wake up going like, oh, fuck, thank God I don't have to go to that job. I hated it so much. <laughs> I just, I, it turned out not to be what I thought it was going to be. And I just despised it. And I quit. Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm. And then after that, I was, <clears throat> I've been an editor, like content manager guy. I've been a project manager at a web development company. I've been a product manager at a company that made weird, like survey software for, for, for advertising, mm -hmm. for marketing companies. That was an MBA job. I got a master's in journalism. I had a press pass to Fenway Park for a little while. I thought I wanted to be like a baseball writer. Hated that. Sucked at it. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> master's in journalism, MBA, JD, and just like really just kind of casting about, like looking for the next thing. And, and all I ever did was just kept thinking, there's got to be something better. I'm just going to try the next thing. And it, but it was like a lot of, it was, you know, it, it sucked. Like it was angsty and dramatic for sure. Like I, I, you know, I repeatedly had the thought like, Oh my God, I'm never going to find my thing. And, uh, but then, yeah, just like <laughs> without any planning at all, just to like fall backward into the niche that ends up being perfect for me. Yep. And it didn't even happen. Like I didn't even I mean, how old was I when I even took the LSAT? I was 30 something. I was like in my early thirties before I even took the LSAT. I must've been like 31. 
I went to law school when I was like 33 because I thought that would work out, that I would be a lawyer. But then like, yeah, at some point along the line, just kind of started LSAT teaching, which really was only ever meant to be a part-time job to just kind of pick up some cash, but fell in love with it and was very successful at it. And so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that's, I think that's out there for everybody who's just, as long as you're willing to not settle. Yeah. I would add that. So what we're suggesting is like, get out there, try things, yeah. see what works, live and learn. That does take time. And I think Rachel Gezersay would say, Hey, like do these yeah. informational interviews. And I think that could be immensely helpful too, because as I was just saying, when I talk to people and I dig into what they do, I'm like, wait, what exactly are you doing <laughs> at your job? Like you're overseeing people, you're, you're doing, you're helping them do what? And you're, you're trying to fix these radios that are supposed to go <laughs> in these weather stations. Like what is happening? Right. Um, if you go out and talk to people, you can almost on some level experience what they're doing and, kind of knock that out in 20 minutes and at least get random ideas. Like maybe you're like, well, I wouldn't want to do that exactly, but I do like the idea of fixing radios. And so then you go talk to other people who fix radios and you might be able to narrow in on something that you like much faster by uh, doing these informational interviews. And if you want to figure out how to make that happen, I would just get her book. It's for law students, but <laughs> this stuff applies to anything. So um, just take her tips and suggestions for going through LinkedIn and apply it to whatever interests you. I'm also noticing here that Maddie, you know, she, she says she has a pretty useless degree because she has an English mm-hmm. degree. Well, yeah. <laughs> your bachelor's doesn't mean shit anyway. I mean, nobody's bachelor's yeah. means anything. The bachelor, it's not, it's not like you get your bachelor's and then like, that's well, now you're set. That's your career now. I mean, maybe if you got a bachelor's in accounting and it like make, you know, certifies you to do this, like one specific technical job or bachelor's in the sciences, of course, you know, start opening certain doors. Um, but you know, if your bachelor's in civil engineering or whatever, I think you can get a job as a civil engineer. Sure, but you still have to go find a company right. and find a project that right. interests you. It's, I agree 100%. I feel like school, the real point of school is learning how to like just take assignments and do them, <laughs> to get work and then accomplish it. And then once you know how to do that, you could try to apply that to anything else that you're seeking to Nobody these do. days. I mean, everybody lives longer now. People are putting off kids longer and longer slash just, you know, not deciding not to have kids. Um, everybody Mm -hmm. is, everybody's finding their things much later in life these days. So bachelor's degree is, I don't know, for professional people, a bachelor's degree is like what high school used to be. And so the fact that you studied English, I mean, I, I encourage people to do things like that. Like whatever you thought was interesting at the time, like that's what you should have done. And there's always grad school. So if you, you know, if you do find some area that you think is interesting to you, I mean, shit, you could decide um, you want to go into architecture. You'd, you'd probably have to go back and do some, you know, f- fundamental courses that you didn't do during your bachelor's because you, you did like a non-science bachelor's. But the door is not closed on 
really any career. Yeah, I mean, the prereqs that you have to do for that master's program are going to be not as many as you might expect now that you have a BA. It's like, oh, you got to take these four required classes. You can knock it out in a semester online these days. And then you're like off and running again. Some math that you didn't take, but you know, if that's really what you want to do, then those math, if that's really the right field for you, then the math classes shouldn't be that big of a deal anyway. Yeah. So you should just, yeah. I mean, I know we're saying it over and over, but just keep trying things and see what sticks. Yep. And don't even fucking worry about it. People like the other thing is that like 21 year olds think that they're supposed to have a career. Like you don't need to have a career. Get yourself some job, travel around, explore. You got all kinds of time. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Some people have complained about our suggestion to travel around because it sounds like it costs so much money and they need money now. Um, But actually, (laughs) as much as I might laugh at what Tim Ferriss has to say, he does a good job of laying out how you can travel for way less than what it probably costs you to live wherever you're living now. Yeah. If you got an apartment in San Francisco or New York or <laughs> even just other places, like <laughs> yeah. just normal places, the like, U S is you can live for real yeah, cheap. You live in uh, one of the most on expensive on the places in the world. You go to South America, take, you know, have, have $5,000 in the bank account and buy yourself a one way ticket to Ecuador. <laughs> You'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Maddie. Appreciate the uh, email. Also, if we talked you out of it, uh, our work here is done. That's <laughs> fantastic. That's good. I'm very glad. So this next one is about the six-point drop. So let's take a look. Dear Ben and Nathan, in July I scored in the high 160s on the LSAT and was signed up to retake it in September. Unfortunately, I barely prepared at all for the next test, but decided not to withdraw or cancel when I felt like I performed poorly. Okay. I scored in the low 160s. I have already apparently six points lower. I've already applied to nearly every top 14 school. For context, I have just under a 4.0. I was accepted to Duke, but the rest of my applications are complete or under review. Should I submit an addendum for the six point LSAT drop? Is this going to help or hurt me with admissions or scholarships? Um, I. I really have no idea what you would say. I don't really have a good excuse for performing poorly. I just wasn't prepared. Now I am suffering the consequences and stressing about what to do. UVA Law, the University of Virginia, uh, law school claims to consider an average, and I am below their median LSAT. Thank you for everything you do. Your podcast has been tremendously helpful throughout my application process, Anonymous. Well, thanks. Um, I don't think that this person should write an addendum. Do you think they should? No, I think you should let your high 160s and your almost 4.0 speak for themselves. If they ask you um, in an interview or if there's a supplementary question that like explicitly says if you have more than X point difference, you know, then respond. I mean, you have to follow the directions. Yeah. But like going out of your way to say, what are you going to say? I mean, you can't tell them the truth. The truth, the truth, <laughs> the truth does not sound the good. The truth sounds terrible. Like you, yeah. you, it sounds irresponsible that you didn't prep the second time. The, the, that that first paragraph is just like, whoa, what are you doing? 
Yeah. Um, so you don't want to do I that. I mean, to be clear, we've said that sometimes people just need to chill out. And even if they took it again, that might be better than not doing anything. But um, it that's for people who are taking a test every day or something. It's like, hey, just take a break and then retake it again later. And they're burned out, so they don't want to prep. But even then, those people end up doing like a time section every other day or at least a test a weekend or something like that to stay in touch. It sounds like you did hardly anything. Yeah, you, so you got to do good. one test a week. If you do one test a week and you thoroughly review it, I would think that you should still be improving your skills. Yeah, but at the very minimum, maintaining them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, which barely prepared at all sounds like not at all. Yeah. So you can't say the truth, which means what? You got to lie. <laughs> and what would you say? Yeah, let's just go ahead and not say anything at all in that case. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. No, I'm not saying that for like moral reasons. I'm just saying you're just getting yourself into a mess by trying to explain something like that. I mean, it is what it is. Worst case, you don't get in this cycle and you, maybe you do retake it and finally get your, you know, sounds like this person must have thought they were capable of getting in the one seventies. I would be, I would probably just let it sit, see what they say. If you don't get any offers that you like this cycle, there's always a next cycle coming right behind it. Yeah, why not? Like, talk is cheap, right? Why not just take the test in January? If it helps the submission cycle, great. If it changes some people's minds, great. If it doesn't, you can use that higher score for next cycle. The one thing about that that I'm I'm just worried about is that the schools see that you're registered, and I'm worried that they're going to hold your review rather than just, like, making you an offer. I suppose once you're on the wait list, if you're on the wait list everywhere... Right, if you've gotten a preliminary decision, yeah. then I can see signing up. So maybe one of the tests in the spring. I thought most schools ask you if you if you want them to review your their your application now or wait for your score to come out. I've heard of schools just seeing that you were registered via your LSAC account and not evaluating your application because of that. Hmm. So I guess it's a school by school thing. So you'd have to figure it out. Uh, but if you look at your schools and yeah, you're already on the wait list. I don't think it's a problem. Anyways, I mean, ignoring the whole like shenanigans of the application process, right? Just like buckling down and taking the LSAT and getting the best score you can get, even if it's in January, is just a good long-term strategy. <laughs> Whether you use it now or or schools use it or don't use it, it's like you have it and now you can decide what to do yeah. with it and you could apply next cycle. And you're like, well, there. I now I don't need to explain my low 160s. I got a 171 or whatever it was. Yeah, getting your best score uh, on record is always a good plan. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not that means you end up waiting another cycle, who cares? Yeah, the <laughs> it's funny. It's like sh- anonymous is like, should I explain it? And it's like, well, there's one thing you can do that would just make it so that you. Don't even need to explain it. Just go get that higher score and then it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, explaining it seems like a mistake. All right. Personal statement time. Yeah, let's do it. Whoa, this, this is a long ass 
introductory email. <clears throat> um, all right, I, I'll read. I can read fast. Okay. Uh, Ben and Nathan just wanted to reach out and show my appreciation for this past weekend. It was really great to finally meet you guys. And the class was awesome. Typically when I attend similar events, the time crawls by and I cannot wait to leave. That was not the case this time. I found myself actually a bit upset when I left on Sunday, but I guess all good things must come to an end. Oh, that's awful. Nice. That is nice. I did feel kind of the same way. It was weird. It was like the class was over almost. Yeah. We didn't do enough. Uh, we, we got to do some, we need a few more social. We got to do some more social stuff. We, we got to do a lunch or we got to formally on Saturday, right after class, do something. Sure. We got to do something so we can hang out a little bit more. Cause that was, uh, I mean, obviously I had a great time in New York, but and drinking LSAT for the people who came out on Friday night was fun, but yeah, we need to figure out how to do more, more hanging out mm-hmm. um, while we're cool. there next time. <clears throat> and I also feel uh, this uh, person's pain about um, when they attend similar events, the time crawls by and they cannot wait to leave. Mm. I'm the world's worst Ben with shit like that. I am the worst student. I hate it so much. I, I cannot stand being in a classroom. It's my, it's the least, my least favorite thing. So, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got it. Yeah. Anyway, I also write in search of some guidance and advice. I first took the LSAT in November of 2018. Arrogance got the best of me back then. And I have been humbled by the almighty LSAC. I studied for an hour or two a day for about a week before the test Oof. Not surprisingly, I got a 150. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> mediocre effort, mediocre score. I applied to many schools, got rejected from my dream school, Columbia, and received pretty sad offers from the other schools on my list. <laughs> I decided that there was not a chance in hell I was going to pay for a law school that I didn't even want to go to. At the advice of one of my mentors, I decided to study for the LSAT and reapply this cycle, fall of 2020. I stumbled upon thinking LSAT a few months ago and really enjoyed it. I signed up for the demon. And I am now testing consistently in the high 160s. Really got to work on logic games. Oh, wow. High 160s and you suck at games? That's awesome. That's great news. That means you're going to be... All you got to do is figure out those games and you're going to be somewhere in the 170s, um, which is a Columbia type of score. That's great. I'm taking the October LSAT and I realize the score release date is November 20th, which is five days after the early decision deadline for Columbia. I really wanted to get my application in before this. And I know you guys always say to wait till you get your best score. Just wanted to hear your thoughts on the benefits and drawbacks of the early decision. What this student's not even eligible for early decision. I mean, what? You can't apply with your 150. You're just going to get denied again. I mean, this is interesting though, because the early decision deadline for Columbia is five days before the scores are released. Like, so you could apply. I could see this person yeah. apply with your 150. They're going to say no, but they're not going to see your application until your score comes out. And then they might be like, hmm, okay. Well, this person's actually 169 or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you just got to look at. <laughs> you could do it. <laughs> well, also, just be careful with early decision programs. I mean, is Columbia, is it a binding program? Is it actually easier to get in with this early decision deadline or not? Because yeah, sometimes yeah. if it comes with a scholarship or whatever, the early decision can actually be harder to get into than the normal decision. Absolutely. So you need to or research if it doesn't that. come with the scholarship. You're giving up that opportunity. I, I, yeah. I, 
I don't know that I would apply early decision for Columbia. I don't think the benefits are that significant. And I think you risk being automatically rejected with such a low score. Yeah. Like it could be just perfunctory, right? They're like 150. No, thanks. Bye. Or what if you score 174 and get in, but because it's binding, they're going to charge you full price. Yeah. That's not a good outcome. Like you could have gone to a better school potentially. I guess you have to look up what the rules are for the early decision for Columbia, but it just doesn't seem to make sense for you. Lastly, I would love to hear your feedback on my personal statement. I would prefer to remain anonymous on the podcast because my personal statement is quite frankly, very personal and slightly graphic. Uh Oh, Uh -oh. (laughs) Oh, no, (laughs) if you think that it's probably true and okay, well, I'm not going to read these. Um, I'll just say, uh, undergrad GPA of almost 4.0 and some internships with, uh, legislators and, uh, lawyers and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, strong candidate otherwise, but, uh, boy, graphic, I can't imagine is going to be correct anyway. Okay. Yep. I so see the word demon in here. Is interesting. Whoa, what? Yeah, later in the passage. This okay, is anyways. also this personal statement is way too long. That's all single spaced. Yeah. What is and, it? How long is it? So it's one and a half pages single spaced with massive paragraphs rather than multiple paragraphs. All right. Well, I'm sure there's gonna be plenty of stuff to cut in here. Okay. I was eighteen years old the first time I used heroin. <laughs> This is not good. I'm sorry. I don't know. I apologize. It's not the best reaction. That sucks, but that is not your... I, I'm i sorry. I can't imagine this being a good lead. You are supposed to be putting your best foot forward. Is the fact that you did heroin at 18 your best foot forward? I don't care what type of redemption story follows that. That is not your best foot forward. That can't be the best thing you want people to, the first best thing you want people to know about you. Here's one thing to think about. Your first sentence is so important that if it's the only sentence that they read, what do you want them to think? Yeah. I mean, some people can save themselves from like a twist, but twists almost never. I'm just going to say never work out for the best. Well, you remember that guy who pretended to be like running for president or working for president or something or speaking in Congress. That was Ezra, dude. That was one of Ezra's <laughs> like fourth personal statement. We're like, wait, you're speaking in Congress. Oh, it's a fake Congress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, you know, uh, I'm pretty liberal as far as like drugs are concerned i i'm not judging anybody for this at all but many people are going to read that about you and they're going to like immediately write you off forever like they don't care what type of redemption story is following that they're going to be like you used heroin goodbye i'm not talking to you anymore next yeah next person right like this would be i don't have time to read all these of, yeah. of right of all if they if you were going to write one first sentence that might make it so that they don't read the rest of it that's that's close to it right there yeah you know i mean i suppose it could be i was 18 years old the first time i kidnapped and murdered someone yeah. you know like okay 
that would be worse. But this the first time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Um, the chaos that followed was beyond anything I could po- I could have possibly fathomed. That makes you sound naive, like that you. Okay. I'll never forget the day I decided to take my life back, but first some background. I was born and raised. I'm going to keep that anonymous to most people. This town is nothing more than the indigent last stop on the L train. What? Hmm. Sorry. I'm looking up indigent. It means poor or needy. Hmm. So you're describing the town as poor. Mm, don't, don't do that. Um, okay. Throughout my childhood and adolescence, I often struggled to fit in. My parents had a broken marriage and couldn't hide it. Most of my earliest memories are of them fighting. I really like, I, I think you've lost half your readers at this point. I don't think anybody's reading much farther than this. I, I, I would suggest it's way more than half. Every sentence here has essentially been bad, bad, bad. It's also all over the place. Like we, we don't need, like when you said you did heroin at 18, we don't, we don't, we can, we can infer from that. Or we can assume that like probably the f- leading up to that was bad. Yeah, not a great family situation. Yeah, like, I mean, I suppose you could have come from a great family. It's it's not like people from great families don't also do drugs, but (laughs) if you're going to say, you know, you lost your life to heroin, we don't need to really know about all this stuff before that. Yeah. Maybe in an addendum or something, but absolutely not in your personal statement. Although they tried to shield my siblings and me from not only their quarrels, but also the troubles of the neighborhood, both experiences left their marks. Halfway through high school, my newly divorced mother decided to move us to Long Island in an attempt to abandon the plight of inner city life and start anew. Almost immediately, I began to thrive I graduated high school with full honors, an advanced placement degree, student council president, multiple extracurriculars, captain of the football team, the works. Then, much to the dismay of my mother, at the ripe age of 17, I moved out. Fresh out of high school, I got an apartment with some friends and attended a local community college to save money. During this time, I injured my knee playing sports and needed surgery. I was prescribed painkillers and quickly became addicted. It didn't take long for me to discover the cheaper and more readily available alternative heroin. I somehow managed to graduate with an AA degree in 2010, but at that point I was already too far gone. The next five years are foggy to say the least. Wow. It's rough. Yeah. It's, it's super rough, which it's just not what you want people to be walking away from the first paragraph of your personal statement thinking. You know, they've got a pile of like shiny, happy people, (laughs) fresh faced go getters in their pile of applications telling all these stories of success. Did you just quote REM? No, accidentally. 
Um, <laughs> Shiny, happy people. Okay, yeah. I, you know, it just, you've got all, all these like go getters, you know, that look like lawyers. <laughs> this does not look like a lawyer. Yeah. This does not look like, oh, yeah, boy, I can't wait to get this person into my law school classroom. Because you just, you know, you've said basically almost nothing but bad things here. I, like you did well in high school. Yeah. But I was hoping that that would continue into college and that was, the, but that wasn't the turning point, obviously. So, <laughs> right. So you can bury all this stuff. Like you, you don't, we don't need, we need none of that. None of that stuff is keepable. It sucks. I'm not, yeah. I mean, and I'm sure it defines a lot of who you are today, but it's not what we want to talk about. Well, you're supposed to be advocating for yourself and that's all that is true, but it's not, you're just not putting the best spin on your life. You're not you, you're, you've got like five minutes with this reader and this right now, the, the reader is like, holy shit, that's fucking awful, which it is. It's just not what you want them to be thinking about you. Yeah. My experiences have taught me the true meaning of failure. <laughs> God. For years, I woke up each day contemplating whether or not life was still worth living in and out of treatment programs, constantly getting kicked out of family homes, losing friends and alienating myself, alienating myself from the real world. My journey with addiction destroyed every vestige of a normal life. I was lost in every sense of the word for five long years. My life became the very personification of failure. I had come to believe that <laughs> I was <laughs> trying to like process that. Sentence. <laughs> We're laughing in the middle of like, I'm sorry. The saddest, yeah, I, worst story. I laughed at the first sentence too. It's just not like this is you're, you're, you're writing exactly the opposite yes. of what you should be writing, which is what you asked us to tell you. So we are telling you that this is um, the exact opposite of what you should be talking about. Yes. Which is separate from our feelings about, wow, I mean, that's shitty. That would be really hard. Yeah. I don't know how to even respond to that. Yeah. I don't know what that would be like. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks. It's just, this is not at all what you should be sharing with the law school that you're hoping is going to admit you. I had come to believe that my fate was sealed and I was destined to live a meaningless life marred with torment and gradual decay. Just as I was on the verge of giving up at long last, my day of reckoning had come the proverbial turning point in my life. Wow. There's a lot of real overwrought language in this. The meaningless life marred with torment and gradual decay. <laughs> At long last, my day of reckoning, the proverbial turning point. Don't ever say proverbial. Sounds like a trailer for like a B-rate movie. Yeah. You can tell that Anonymous, you know, worked hard on this, like really is trying to squeeze everything they can out of it and like really, you know, make you feel it. Um, but it, it's, uh, yeah, you're working too hard with the drama. After countless nights spent sleeping on trains and park benches, I surrendered. I called my mom who hadn't heard from me in nearly two years. She cried the second she heard my voice. I did my best to ignore the sharp pain in my chest, accompanied by flashbacks of all the pain and suffering I had caused her. Fighting back my own tears, I managed to tell her that I had decided to change my life. I hung up and checked myself into detox. 
In 2014, I voluntarily entered into an intensive three-year program for young adults with substance abuse problems. Throughout my journey to recovery, I learned a great deal about myself. I learned how to turn milestones into stepping stones and replaced the ubiquitous failure that had come to incarcerate my life with unrelenting perseverance. That's all just telling, 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 telling. Yep. You can cut literally everything so far. There's nothing keepable in the first two paragraphs. I decided to live. Once I graduated from the program, I decided to go back to school, which was no small task. Working full-time as a waiter and going to school while completely supporting myself wasn't easy, but I did it. Over the past five years, I have successfully maintained my sobriety and have grown into a productive member of society, all while sustaining near-perfect grades and a healthy social life. Okay, there's some keepable stuff there. I mean, I'm interested in hearing about you working full-time as a waiter and going to school and completely supporting yourself. That's awesome. You know, if, if you are going to mention your addiction at all, it would be literally one sentence talking about how you got injured and got addicted to the drugs that were given to you for that. That's the only thing that would make sense to me. And then in an addendum, maybe in an addendum, I don't think you need that for your personal statement. Well, I'm just saying if you're going to like talk about this, like rebound, I don't like it for, I don't like it for a personal statement topic. I just, it's, uh, I thought you were supposed to be making a case for yourself and the, you bringing up substance abuse issues is not, I just don't think it's what we want to hear about. I, I, I could be wrong. I mean, I, I, sure. Like I can imagine well, if it's done, I'm just saying like, this is where the success starts happening. Right. Yeah. And to explain, to provide any context to this if you were to mention that or if somehow it's known on your record, because it could be known on this person's record yeah, and it could be a subtle way of addressing it. Um, but you're going, it's like one sentence to show that you got addicted and how, and it's the injury, which makes a lot of sense. And then it's next sentence. It's success, success, success. This is what I've done. This is where I'm at. And so we're literally dismissing all of those years, which sucks, but that's not what we want to focus on. We want to focus on, oh, that's where I was, but look at all this stuff that's happened afterward. But my hope is actually that, yeah, you find a totally different topic. We find some work experience you've had since then where you kicked ass and we talk about that. All right. I'm going to continue. Yeah. The Miriam Webster dictionary defines perseverance as a continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failure, or opposition. Steadfastness. Never ever define something in your personal no, statement based on don't put the dictionary. the dictionary. Don't put. Let's check this sentence out. At this point, you might wonder why I decided to break the cardinal rule of quoting something in an essay. Uh, you're, you know that you just broke a rule. <laughs> Especially using something as mundane as a dictionary definition, or even y- worse, the perfunctory use of the informal you to address the reader. Perhaps oh, I am... Geez. This is one of the worst paragraphs I've ever read in a personal statement. Perhaps I am just another trite college student sur- striving to challenge the institutional parameters of a world I disagree with while ironically assisting upon the originality of my ideas. 
Oh my God. No, you're just like screaming. I am going to rebel against the status quo and law schools are the epitome of the status quo. As cliche as it may seem, I am quite different. I digress. The word perseverance means more to me than it does to most. And it has gained a rather metaphysical allure in my mind. <laughs> what is happening? I don't know what's happening. I'm looking over my shoulder to see if the candy camera cameras are here because I don't, this is not, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Um, quite appropriately, failure has also achieved a somewhat transcendent status in my mind. The divergent nature of these two ideas, perseverance and failure, and the perpetual battle between them has come to define my life. Holy shit. (laughs) Okay, when you say the word perseverance means more to me than it does to most, you're making quite a bit of a, quite, quite a huge assumption about everyone like most people's experiences in the world. Yeah. Just insulting all other people at the same time. Yeah. That word means more to me than it does to you. (laughs) Okay. Really? Yeah. Except me in your law school. (laughs) This whole thing in the middle here is where the, even worse than the heroin is the, at this point you might wonder why I decided to break this rule blah, blah, blah. Perhaps I'm another trite college student striving to challenge the institutional parameters of a world I disagree with. (laughs) Holy. That's like an extra large denied stamp. Just like the, they got the jumbo one out for that. There's primed and ready. They got it all inked up. There's ink fucking dripping off of this thing. And they, when they see that, it's just like, (laughs) if anyone even got that far if anyone was still holding on hoping to like see your your about face and you know run to success it just got seriously derailed and they're like what it's like not only are you a i mean i'm not saying being a recovering heroin heroin addict is not is not actually a red flag for many people. They're going to be like, Oh, that's great. Like recovery, you know, awesome. You know, love people in recovery. Um, that's uh, for, for some people though, the heroin thing, especially right off the bat, they're just going to be like, well, we're presumptively not, not admitting this person. Yeah. But then when you also simultaneously break into this weird, I disagree with the world. And insisting upon the originality of your ideas, it, it's like now you look like totally separately. You just look like a complete problem for my school. Mm-hmm. That's the last thing they want. <laughs> they do not want rebels and iconoclasts. They want people who are mm-hmm. going to follow the fucking rules. Yeah. Legal practice is like it really is. It's like the priesthood or something. It's like you're studying because you are completely studying dogma, memorizing these magic procedures and incantations. And if you disagree with them, they don't fucking care about that. (laughs) That's like, (laughs) fine. You could just reminds me. (laughs) Go ahead. Yeah. It reminds me of the institutional authority of what, 
Ronald Dorkwin or whoever, whatever that passage is about. Remember that? No, you have to remind institutional, me. Yeah, oh, this, there's a reading comp passage about institutional authority versus intellectual authority. And like essentially one of the claims is that the legal system is predominantly institutional, which is exactly what you're saying. Yeah, just like, I, what are you going to do? Go into court and tell the judge you don't agree with the rules of court? <laughs> the institutional parameters set forth herewith? <laughs> I have some original ideas that I would like you to consider, Your Honor. Actually, you wouldn't be calling them Your Honor. You'd be probably calling them Yo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yo, Yo Sally. I looked up. That's your first name. Um, yeah, you're going to be talking to the bailiff is who you're going to be talking to. <laughs> um, ready? okay. I persevere each and every day with demons that would destroy most because I crave oh. to live a life with meaning. This is all just telling dude, you like, you got to show yourself doing, you got to show yourself being successful. This is now, this is the last paragraph. And what you know you've gotten off of heroin which congratulations and that is a fucking huge accomplishment but that's not the accomplishment that you want to be talking about on your law school personal statement and you keep saying how great you're doing but you're just telling me and telling me and telling me and telling me that you're doing awesome but you got to be showing me that stuff cuz otherwise i just it's just words also again saying that you persevere each day with demons that would destroy most. Yep. It's again, just like I got this in a way you don't reader. Yep. I'm the toughest person in the world. Uh, you know, I I'm, I'm diff I'm, I'm better than most. It's just telling, right. Instead of showing like I would be willing to believe you if you showed me the right stories that like, if you, if you just showed yourself persevering, that would be great. But you, you've said the word perseverance. I know it's your favorite word and it means more to you than it does to other people, but you, <laughs> you know, like it doesn't work. You know what? It doesn't mean that much to me apparently. Yeah. So you yeah. saying it a million times doesn't do shit. Obviously I'm on your team. I mean, I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help who anonymous I'm trying. I'm obviously I'm trying to help you. I'm not like actually, <laughs> I'm just giving you the perspective that the reader, like the, the other side of this it, there is somebody who's trying to pick between you and someone else and when you just continually insult the reader they're not gonna respond positively to that i would put down a thousand bucks that no one would get through this personal statement except that if they did it would be solely to share it with their peers as like look at this one <laughs> Yep. And you know that they, boy, they must have le like just legendarily bad ones too. They <laughs> yeah, probably they have, filed away. They at the fucking office party every once in a while, they, you know, Martha, get the binder, get the, come on, get the binder. Everybody's had yeah, a couple man of drinks. Kind of yeah. <laughs> yeah. This one, I totally agree. I think halfway through they would have been done. If they did make it, I think they would have been just because uh, they're shaking their head like, I can't believe someone had the poor judgment to put this into a personal statement. Yeah. 
Um, well, this does seem like, what is it, mess in place or whatever? Mise en place. Mise en place. And everything's in place. Your heart's in it. That's not what mise en place means. Well, I know it means everything <laughs> in place, right? But and then her other tip was like her heart, your heart's in it. So this, oh, I see. Yeah, right. This is the heart. The heart part is there. Like you can tell that yeah. this this anonymous is really feeling it, but yeah. you're just feeling the wrong things. I mean, y- you need to show yourself achieving things. You need to you need to show yourself overcoming some obstacles, and you can't just go with I got off heroin because that's not that's just not gonna that's not enough we we need to see what you did after you got off heroin and yep. and when you show us all the stuff that you've done after you got off heroin you really should strongly consider just not even telling us about the substance abuse issues at all that's not yep. a thing that is going to be a point in your favor it's just not my entire adult life, I have wanted to pursue a career in law, which until recently was a dream deferred. I have gained truly invaluable insight. Telling. Telling. I am proud of who I am. Don't care. As well as the... Tri- <laughs> well, I, I'm not. I don't care. The, I know. It's clear I that you're proud of who you are, but we don't care. Like, who are you? We, we haven't seen you do yeah. anything. So you saying you're proud of yourself. Like, yeah, apparently you are. Um, I'm proud of who I am as well as the trials and tribulations I have faced. (sighs) They they do not define me, but they have helped create the man I am today. See, but the problem is that they do define you because that's all you're talking about. You're defining yourself in terms of your addiction. Yeah. And it's not like the man I am today. Who is the man you are today? I know that you're a waiter and a student like, okay, those are good. But who, who else? What? From my battles with substance abuse, comma, to my work in internships <laughs> in D.C. and the Bronx, comma, I have gained a rather holistic view of the law. Oh, oh. What? Why go to law school? You're <laughs> yeah, it's like, wow. You're uh, an expert. Yeah, you know, you might be overqualified, actually, for my school. <laughs> um, my work in internships has ignited my passion to help those in need in the Bronx. Wait, wait, wait. We've said you can't use the word passion in your personal yeah, statement. Passion. Don't, don't ever, don't do it. In the Bronx, I worked with the alternatives to incarceration bureau and met so many young people facing problems that I had faced not so long ago. I learned the many ways in which the current legal system punishes poverty, mental illness, and substance abuse. With my degree, I will do everything I can to change this. My experiences have done nothing but strengthen my resolve. Comma, I will be an attorney. (laughs) That's a comma. That actually sounds like you're concerned you're not going to make it. Yeah. Protesting too much. Yeah. I will be successful. I will fight to give a voice to those without one. I, this is all one sentence. I, no, no punctuation here. I will fight to give a voice to those without one. I have never been more sure of anything in my life. All right. So what can we talk about here? This is all going to go. This is everything here has got to go, except maybe can we talk about what you did at your internship and what exactly you did with those people, how you helped them, and reframe this 
much more narrowly focused on things that you obviously learned by being there, but being concrete and specific and not grandiose. You know, what's funny is that it's, I want this to be, it's, it needs to be far more positive and far more humble. Yeah. Like this is an amazing balance here of being focused entirely on negative things and super egotistical at the same time. Yeah. It, you, you didn't demonstrate any of these positive things that you keep talking about. The only things you demonstrated were like real shitty things. So it's yeah. like real dark and negative, but then at the same time, it's with all these boasts about how you're guaranteed going to be a successful lawyer because you're so passionate and pers- you have your special relationship with perseverance. Yeah. This is an example of where you showed negativity, negative things in your life. And you told us about all the positive things. It's like the, you can't go in a worse direction because you're, you're essentially successfully proving your failures and inviting the reader to conclude the exact opposite about your successes because you just told us about all of them. You didn't show us any of them. Yeah. Um, well said. So recommendations, Start over completely. Write about the work that you do right now. Something recent um, where you just show me you going to work every day doing things. Yeah, your sentences should be like, I checked people into the bureau. I took notes on what they did. Now, that might be boring at first, but we just got to get it all out there. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. One particular client was a a challenge because say what this challenge was. Say why why this one particular client was a challenge and then say what you did to overcome that challenge with that client and show me a success. Yep. Or I decided to help them by giving them X. I then did this. I suggested to the director that we do Y. The director had me do Z. Like, let's just show us what you do that has been successful. And then we can, like, (laughs) take out the boring stuff and focus on the most important things in that story. Yeah. This, um, you know, people love doing the, uh, like these two sentences, I learned the many ways in which the current legal system punishes poverty, mental illness, and substance abuse with my degree. I will do everything I can to change this. People talking about how they're going to change the United States or New York state legal system. It's just, again, it's so arrogant on so many levels. I learned the many ways in which the current legal system punishes poverty, mental illness, and substance abuse. People with PhDs spend their lives studying this stuff and coming to tentative conclusions about what may or may not be happening in the legal system. It's an insult to like everyone who works in the system. Like, do you not think that judges are aware of this stuff? And trying to (laughs) solve the problem as best they can presuming like ill intent on those actors. And if instead, instead of these like grandiose claims about how you're going to change the legal system, if you talked about your work with the alternatives to incarceration bureau, 
we'd be like, oh yeah, like this guy's doing good work in the world. I bet he, you know, he'll probably be a reform minded lawyer. You know, look at all the great hard work he's doing. Cool. Yeah. And then you've just showed it and I've reached the conclusion that you're trying to force down my throat. When you try to force that conclusion down my throat, I just, I'm like, I just, I'm not buying it. I want to buy it. I want to be on your team, but you're forcing me to not be on your team. Want to leave it there? Yeah. That was a dark way to end the show today. (laughs) Thank you anonymous for coming to our class in New York. It was super fun. Uh, and you know, thank you for sending in your personal statement. Um, you can tell, I can tell you've worked hard on it, but you need to work harder. You need, cause you, you really got to, that's a, that's a complete no go. I, I don't see that being successful at all. Yeah. Uh, you want to wrap it up? Yeah. You can always join the thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. You can also follow us at thinking LSAT on Instagram and Twitter. Visit strategyprep.com for classes in DC, foxlsat.com for classes in San Francisco and Los Angeles. We also both offer tutoring. Our joint project is lsatdemon.com. It's a one-stop shop for everything you need to prepare for the LSAT on your phone, laptop, and so on. You can listen in all different ways, YouTube, etc. That was episode 216 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all you all for listening. Nice knowing you. Thank you.